The first reading is from Paul's first letter to the 12th chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, 7th chapter. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epata, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond all measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. From Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. That is one of the most powerful texts 
in the entire Bible. It invites all of us to repentance. For how many times haven't you and I stifled the Jesus Christ who lives in us? But there is more in this text than just a summons to routine, although I am sure it is most times sincere, repentance. This text lays out for you and for me the greatest challenge of our life together here as a seminary community. This greatest challenge is one that is not obvious to us at all times. This greatest challenge is one that we may not recognize on a day-to-day -day basis. There certainly are other challenges that are obvious and always before us. Academics, you will know, will be a challenge that will always be in your face. And a challenge that is in your face oftentimes can be seminary finances. And balancing your own personal life with your seminary responsibilities, that's also a challenge. These are challenges that you know about, you will deal with on an almost daily, certainly a constant basis. But the greatest challenge suggested by this text is not so obvious and for us who have life together here on a seminary campus this greatest challenge is not always and easily recognized I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest challenge of our life together is the total, the total, the 24-7, 365, however you'd want to define it, total claim of Jesus Christ on your life, on my life. We know that we are living in a fallen and broken world. We know that this world is sinful and evil every day when we receive the news. In four years, God willing, you will sit in these same pews and receive your first calls and your theological diplomas to go out into this world on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will go out carrying his gospel. But what is the gospel? That you will go and take into this broken and sinful world. It is certainly not, certainly not what the world expects. The world wants a gospel 
that has God coming down and zapping the abortion clinics, ending every form of abuse, curing every addiction, and lavishing on all of us health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what the world wants, and they'll be expecting that from you, but that's not the gospel that you'll be taking, we pray, into the world because God's message is just, just the opposite. Instead of doing what we would have God do for us, He does the opposite. He does come down into the world, but He kicks the terrible things up a notch. He comes into the world and kicks the terrible things in this world up a notch by crucifying who? If you are that as alive as that as a preacher, I'm not going to your church. Try it again. God kicks the terrible in our world up a notch by coming down and crucifying Jesus. I thought you'd say that after I pulled it out of you. Yeah, no, that's, that's not wrong. But it's not commanded. It's so out there. Jesus Christ was crucified. George Washington cut down a cherry tree. And what does it all have to do with me? With you? Ah. We go to the text. I have been crucified with Christ. I, the guy you're looking at, I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. Yes, Jesus was crucified. And that makes all the difference in the world. But this powerful text says that you fill in your name. I'm not talking about all y'all. Fill in your name. You have been crucified with Jesus Christ. And knowing this, in our head and in our heart is the greatest challenge that we face in our life together as a seminary community. But when we know that I have been singular, you have been, all of us corporately have been crucified with Christ, then you get a different perspective on our past life. You get a different perspective on the things of the world because you're no longer down here in the world. You've been hung up between earth and heaven and you see everything differently 
when you take this into your being that you have been crucified with Christ. What was going on in the mind of Christ when he was being crucified for you and for me? Oh my God, my God, the seminary has not turned out the way I expected it to. Nuh-uh. He went to the cross saying, Thy will, not mine, be done. And we were crucified with him. My God, my God, will I get through here and be a successful pastor? Will I get through here and just be a pastor? Nuh-uh. He prayed, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit as he had committed his whole ministry and life throughout all those years. My God, my God, those people are beating the joy of Jesus out of me. Nuh-uh. None of this contemporary pablum did he say when he was on the cross. He rather said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive the people for whom I am dying because they don't know what they're talking about. This is why we love to use the word formation here at Concordia Seminary, formation. You are not going to be trained to be a pastor, trained to do pastoral things like somebody might be trained to drive a bulldozer or become a mechanic, no offense to those professions. No, the faculty, the staff is going to give as many occasions day in and day out these next years so that the Spirit of God can form you to form you into a different person. Not the person that you are not right now. A new person. And not a new you as a person. But the faculty and the staff and this entire campus is going to use every occasion that we have so that the Spirit of God conform each of you into the new person that is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ living in you. I have been crucified with Christ. Back to the text. That's a past it happened at your baptism. That's why St. Paul says in Romans, we were buried with Christ by baptism into death. Actually, it is a perfect 
passive. I have been crucified with Christ. A perfect passive, the passive indicating that God is the actor in formation from baptism on. And the perfect, as I think you budding Greek scholars know, or will know, indicates a past action that has continuing significance. And the continuing significance is that Jesus Christ is our life now. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, present tense, but Christ lives, present tense, in me. Jesus Christ is present tense on this campus. We will not train you to go out and be the curators of a dusty old museum that is called St. Whatever Lutheran Church. God is alive. He is present tense in this campus. He is here and now. And he is here and now for you individually, the person who has been crucified with Christ. He is here and now for you personally with good news, for us as a seminary community, corporately with good news. And God help us through us to this broken and sinful world. The Spirit of God is as alive in your life as he was, as Jesus Christ was back in those Bible times. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is as alive now in your life as he was back in the times of Bible stories. Back in the Bible story where Dr. Martelt read that he said, Epita, be open. And the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is present tense on this campus so that he will say, be open to our hearts and minds and we will be formed according to our baptism and for his greater service it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me Formation starts in baptism. And formation for you, the baptized into Christ, for pastoral ministry happens as you and I are into the word of faith these next years. As you study the Word of Christ, this Word, in your academics, in your personal meditation and study, in our corporate chapel services, and in conversation with one another, as you open yourself honestly and sometimes vulnerably so that the Word can wrestle the doubts and form you more and more according to your baptism and potential for pastoral service. And as you learn 
to appreciate and yes, love the brothers and sisters on this campus who will share the word of Christ with you in ways that are unpretentious but sincere, then you're going to find out that life together, our life together here as a Concordia Seminary community is not only the greatest challenge for those of us, all of us born sinners in need of redemption, but as the word of faith forms you, you will learn what a privilege these years are on this campus. The title of the sermon comes from a 1938 book that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote when he was leading a seminary. He wrote the book Life Together for his students, but it has become a classic. And as I think you know, we are going to be living with life together in the next months. And as we talk about, explore what life together means, you're going to see that it's not simply a stiff challenge, but even more, as Bonhoeffer says at the very outset of a book, that life on a seminary campus is a great and a singular blessing from God. How many baptized in the world today, how many baptized in the history of the world have had the privilege that you and I have, that faculty has, that staff has, to be together with one another every day and delve into the Word of God which brings us Jesus Christ in our salvation. To understand what it means through lectures, through discussions, through sermons, through conversations, to understand what it means that we have been crucified with Christ, but now He is alive and He is working through this Word in our seminary community life. It is a special, special blessing that not many Christians have to be on a seminary campus with one another and with the living Lord Jesus Christ. I don't... <clears throat> I don't know anything about this man. His name is Bruce Tielemann, a minister. And he wrote this. My first pastorate was in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, which was famous at that time for having the world's largest steel tube rolling mills. Many was the time I stood in one of those great machines with a man operating the machine. I would see a great serpent of molten metal come slithering down into the machine, and it would be chopped off. Then the machine would grab it by its end and begin to spin. By centrifugal force, that bar of metal would open from the inside out. Many times I asked the men directing those machines what is the most important ingredient in the process. The answer was always the same. It's the temperature of the metal. If it is too hot, it will fly apart. If it is too cold, it will not open as it ought. 
Unless you catch the molten moment, you cannot make the perfect tube. Unless we catch those molten moments when character develops, we miss our opportunities just as the disciples did. I do not know what would constitute a molten moment for you. You can resist the formation of God, and you will be tempted to resist the molten moment that the next years at Concordia Seminary offer you. We pray that that not be the case, but that through every occasion, a new person, a different person, Christ in you is formed. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.